Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, February 1st, 2017. We're going to be doing our light episode today. Recorded a uh, conversation with uh, Stephen Amy earlier this morning, and we decided we're going to play it tomorrow. It's on IHOP and Mike Bickle. Really important program. But this program is important, too, as we ramble our way through the book of Exodus. Details forthwith. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to... Open up God's Word to compare and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. It's weird how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet that's being fed to evangelicals isn't biblical. It's not what God's Word teaches. It's really a bunch of ear-scratching nonsense um, You know, to basically entertain those who have decided to turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. And if you're thinking, you know, there's, gotta, there's something wrong in the church, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Don't worry, we'll help you get all of your fingers on it. Just listening to Fighting for the Faith. Now, part of learning uh, how to do this requires you to become familiar with what God's Word teaches in context properly exegeted. And so uh, we work from the concept here that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said that the Scriptures testify about him. That's right, they, they actually testify about Christ. And so you'll notice as I work my way through the Old Testament, we were in Genesis a while back, we're now in the book of Exodus, we keep flipping back from the front end of the book to the back end of the book, understanding that in Hebrews 10 it teaches that the Old Testament is type and shadow, and that the substance is found in Christ himself, and that he's the substance to which the shadows kind of all point to and lead to. And uh, and so today is no different. We're going to be in Exodus 15 to begin. We're going to look at uh, the Song of Moses uh, compared to the Magnificat uh, in Luke chapter 1. Fascinating comparison, picking up on the motifs there. And uh, and then we're going to get into the manna in the wilderness and and show you what its New Testament fulfillment is. Yeah, the, the manna in the wilderness, the bread from heaven points to someone. And so we'll flesh that out for you for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And again, you're going to be hearing, uh, you know, Lutheran doctrine, which you'll find just basically just says, yeah, the Bible says what it means. It means what it says regarding baptism and the Lord's Supper and things like that. And so you'll hear that. I'll put into the resources today a link to our Christianity 101 lecture from a couple years back by uh, Pastor Ernie Lastman, where he covers the topic of the Lord's Supper in depth. That will be in the additional resources with today's episode when it's posted. So grab a Bible, get over to Exodus 15. Let's get started. Here we go. Okay, let's pray and then let's get to it. This is actually one of my favorite sections of scripture. It is, if it were a dessert, it would be like a tiramisu. It's really rich. It's really thick. It's just packed with all kinds of oodly goodness. 
So let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, as we open up your word, you would show us how to find you in it. And in finding you, we see the story of our redemption, our salvation by your mighty hand. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, we looked at the crossing of the Red Sea and noted how Scripture says that's a baptism that took place. And of course, we read in our sermon today in Hebrews 10, Old Testament is type and shadow. The reality is found in Christ. And believe me when I tell you, by the time we're done with this, you're going to like be waking up in the middle of the night and hearing those words. Old Testament is type and shadow. Reality is Christ. It'll be like a refrain. You'll be like my mind-controlled robots, Pastor Rosebro says. No, yeah, that's not exactly true, but you get the point. <laughs> that's right. Now, I wanted to show you, I think I've showed it before, but it's worth mentioning. We know the spot where this took place, the crossing of the Red Sea. And on my website, fightingforthefaith.com, I have a, an episode that I did called Don't Go Full Burger King, okay, because my son actually comes up with some of the names of some of my episodes, and so that was his idea. But it's, it, this is where I take the Sunday school lessons from here, and then I play them as radio segments on my radio station, on my radio program. And so I've been working, you know, uh, this is a portion of Scripture where we're talking about Exodus 8 through 12, the different plagues leading up to, also in including, uh, the Passover. But what I did here, last week I referenced two different documentaries. And one of them is, is for free on YouTube, and the name of it is Exodus Revealed, The Search for the Red Sea Crossing. And absolutely worth watching. You need to see it. And you'll sit there and go, this is why he says that. Right, because the evidence points to it. But the other thing, if you have a Netflix account, and I know that some of you are guilty of going on Netflix binges. I, apparently, this is like the thing to do nowadays. It's like, you know, you know, Friday night hits, and then you go on like a Netflix bender, and by the time you come out of the fog, it's already like Sunday evening, and you, you haven't showered or anything. It's the weirdest thing. Blue Bloods, right. <laughs> so, But on Netflix, there's a um, documentary t- titled Patterns of Evidence Exodus. Let me click on the link and see if I can go into Netflix really quick here. Is this where you said that they, they're, they're seeing that the wheels... No, no. The, the one with the wheels is here on the Exodus Revealed, the documentary that's on YouTube. And I have the actual... I embedded the video. I that on TV. Okay. Oh, right, we are, right. You know, but that YouTube stuff, it's yeah, so beneath you, yes. But I did see that other on TV. I have no idea what it was. Okay. All right, so Patterns of Evidence is the name of it. Patterns of Evidence, Exodus. And this documentary, at the risk of sounding like I'm trying too hard, is just the shiznizzle. <laughs> the people who are younger know exactly. Yeah, yeah. Am I on fleek there, by the way? Never mind. <laughs> Um, you can, but you're going to have to find a different outlet and like maybe purchase the DVD off of Amazon or something. Yeah, I, no, actually, I checked on YouTube for this one. No, it ain't on YouTube. Yeah. And then apparently they have a website for like the extended director's cut DVD, uh, which is extra money, but they go through other stuff. And again, like I pointed out, this guy shows us what really good archaeology is showing They know the spot where Joseph was originally buried. And when you see the artifacts themselves, it's stunning. And they, we know where Goshen is and it it just, it all fits. But that he explains why certain archaeologists just keep looking with their eyes closed. So, um, and the links to both of them are up on the Fighting for the Faith website. Don't go full Burger King. And, uh, and that's where you can find them. So let's get to our biblical text today. Last week, I wanted to get to this, but we didn't quite get to it. I wanted to explain how there's a motif in Exodus 15, this song of Moses that picks up on on this major theme of Scripture, and it is the overthrowing of the self-exalted, the self-important, those who oppress others, 
hold them under their thumb or their boot, and how God literally rescues them, turns the table where the oppressed become free. And so we'll see it in the, in the way the song unfolds. Let me read the song out, Exodus 15, verse 1. Moses and the people of Israel, they sang this song to Yahweh, saying, I will sing to Yahweh, for He has triumphed gloriously. Notice who's running the verbs here. God is in control. He's the one who triumphed gloriously. There was not a single Egyptian that was lying dead on the seashore of the, of, of the Red Sea that was uh, killed by a sword from an Israelite. And by the way, this, again, uh, I'll show you this. Where this took place then, Goshen is up in this area in the Nile Delta. And then the Red Sea crossing takes place. Here's the Red Sea itself. And there's this arm of the Red Sea called the Gulf of Aqaba. That is where the Red Sea crossing takes place. But more specifically, let me see if I can zoom in just a smidge here. You'll see this little outcropping right here. This beach, this is where they come out to the beach to the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh come down this, this is called a wadi. A wadi is a, is a dry riverbed and it only has water on it during the season when there's rain. And so this is the beachhead where they were. And then when you back up just a smidge, the crossing takes place in this portion of the Red Sea. And the documentary, the, the one that's on YouTube, actually has a, a dive footage from this region, and somebody actually in, in Google Earth put in some of the photos of where the crossing take, took place. Let me see if I can pull this up. And you can see this is a, this is a coral uh, growth at this place, and you can see there's, there's the wheel and the axle, uh, the, you know, the, the, the spoke and the axle for where the, uh, the chariot wheel would be. So the wood was on the bottom, the coral grows into the wood, and there's all the, there's all, it literally looks like just wreckage strewn all over the bottom of this, and you can see it in the, in the dive footage. Worth noting here. But coming back then to our text, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, I will exalt Him. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And remember, Pharaoh's a stand-in for the devil. This is a picture of salvation itself and what Christ does for us against the devil. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heat. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Now, a little bit of a quick question here. Those of you who've read the back of the book, book of Revelation, how does Jesus destroy the Antichrist? With the breath of his mouth. With the breath of his mouth. That's the answer, right? Very good. And you should have said, what is the breath of his mouth? Anyway. Sorry, Alex. Yeah. Maybe next time. We'll take Exodus for 600. Okay. So you'll notice here, Jesus overthrows the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, with the breath of his mouth. Same theme here. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So even the wind that parts the sea and the crossing of the sea is a picture of baptism. The wind that parts the sea here is now likened to the breath of God's mouth or his nostrils. And through his breath and through his nostrils, he destroys his adversaries. That motif is picked up again in eschatology with the destruction of the Antichrist through the breath of Christ's mouth. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? 
awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till your people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And you should be hearing in that. And he shall reign forever and ever. Handel's Messiah. Now you start to kind of see these themes. Now, watch the cross-reference. The cross-reference is one that most people wouldn't anticipate, but it's found in Luke chapter 1, and it is that portion of Scripture where we get the Magnificat. And here's the story, Luke one thirty-nine. So Gabriel, the angel, has already appeared to Mary to let her know that she is going to conceive and bear a son, even though she is a virgin, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. And here's what it says in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose, went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, now here's, this is the section known as the Magnificat. Watch the themes. The themes are the same as we heard in Moses' song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, and behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and His offspring forever. So here's the idea. The hungry, the oppressed, they now are on top. The self-exalted God scatters them with His mighty arm. Same motif. And so you kind of have to think, when we start to think about what the story is of Scripture, and this is our story. It's not their story. It's our story. We were created by God. We were His image bearers, the icons of God in the earth. And God was going to manage His creation through His special creation, mankind, made in His image. And the devil comes along and convinces us to engage in a coup d'etat similar to His. Where we exalt ourselves above God and want to be like God. Rather than wanting to be godly, the temptation was to be God-like. And in so doing, we then are subjected because of this to a curse, to the dominion of darkness, and we are oppressed underneath the totalitarian evil dictator of the devil, the serpent himself. And God, through His mighty arms, outstretched arms, shatters the dominion of darkness on the cross. We are baptized into the Red Sea. We are freed from slavery. The oppressor is overthrown. Those who are hungry and afraid, 
They are the ones who experience salvation. And it's a complete and total freedom from the oppression and dominion of darkness. A great story. What's even better about it is it's true. And see, all of the stories that we go to the movies to watch, it's always the same thing. Some evil thing, person, empire, whatever has arisen. Dun, 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 dun. And these freedom fighters are out there to overthrow it. And they fight against it. And blammo, whammo. And things out of nowhere, they finally figure out how to win. And everyone's free. And the other goes, yay. That was my worst way of telling a story. Even yet. Okay, I'll, I'll work for even worse next time. But you get the idea. We tell the story over and over again, but all of those stories point to this story, the one we actually find ourselves in. We have this longing, this deep longing and desire to be free of the suffering and just awfulness of this life. You know, I, I always think it's so funny that television tries to make everybody look so young and pretty and skinny and stuff like that. And then you come to church and it's like, why don't you guys look like people on television? Because television is this alternate universe. It doesn't exist. You know, I always feel bad for the women who, you know, like their friends are on Pinterest and stuff like that. And their houses always look so beautiful in their pictures. These are staged photos. Okay? They never show you the photos of their kids screaming at them with snot running down their noses and their hair all like this. <laughs> Because everybody knows that, oh, your friends on social media, they have perfect homes, but you don't. Okay, this is, yeah. But we actually, that's actually a form of longing for this better. Okay, we're trying to figure out how to undo the curse, to get out from the oppression of all of this. And it's only in Christ that we find that freedom. But the thing is, is that, it's a freedom that is now. You truly are already set free. But here's how the story goes. Watch this. They're out of slavery. They've been baptized in the Red Sea. They're now singing their praises and they've started their wilderness wanderings. Are they in the promised land yet? They're a people without a country. Does that, do you feel like that as a Christian? Spin the globe. Put your finger down. You'll never put it on a, on a country Named the kingdom of God. And this is what we're longing for. The fulfillment of all of these promises. We have the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance, but it's not yet the full payment. The now, not yet piece of this. We live in the tension. Having been set free, but not yet in the promised land. The promised land is not you getting a mansion in the here and now. Or you even having well-behaved children. Good luck on that. You're going to find out. Every one of your children is as rotten as you are. So, just saying. <clears throat> Instead, the promised land is the new earth. It's the new earth. So you can see the themes there. So the Magnificat picks up on these same themes. The great overthrowing of the oppressor. God's mighty outstretched arms saving those who are hungry being now finally filled with good things. While the rich... Those who are oppressing others, they're being sent empty away. And all of this is in remembrance of God's mercy. Good stuff. Have any of you ever been on a family road trip that took longer than two hours to drive? Not in the Northeast because that's way too far. Okay. Have, I'm going to notice, I'm going to have you notice something here. When the journey begins, dad's excited mom's happy. The kids are really excited too. Maybe you're going to take a car trip to California and go to Disneyland and everyone's so excited. We're going to Disneyland. We're going to Di And then you get to South Dakota. And what happens in South Dakota? Mom, mom, he's touching me. Would you mind him touching me? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I gotta go potty. <laughs> and, and mom is like on her last nerve. And then she does something that it doesn't make any sense. She goes like this. Would you stop yelling? You're sitting there going, but mom, you're never, right? Okay. And everyone is ready to kill. That's kind of the turn that we're going to see here 
in Exodus 15. Oh, they're singing praises to God. His mighty arm has set them free. And all the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. In fact, verse 21 says, actually verse 19, the horses of Pharaoh with the chariots and his horsemen, they went into the sea. The Lord brought back the waters. The sea opened upon them. The people of Israel walked on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. All the women went out after her with tambourines and they were dancing. They were clearly not Norwegian. And Miriam sang to, sang, Sing to the Lord. He's triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. And everyone shouted, Amen, Hallelujah, right on. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness. And they found no water. Notice they're not singing praise songs right now. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, What are we going to drink? <laughs> and this is just the beginning. Okay? And he cried to Yahweh, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, I'm going to note this real quick. The church fathers see this as a typology pointing to baptism. The wood typologically pointing to the cross. So the cross mixed with water turns it sweet and makes it efficacious for baptism. I think that's an interesting typology. There the Lord made for them a statute, and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God. Now notice, it begins with listen diligently. Listening diligently to the voice of Yahweh your God calls for faith. To trust Him, to trust His words. From that faith comes a life of good works, following His commandments, guarding your ways. So if you will diligently Listen to the voice of Yahweh your God. Do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. You mean they're coming back? Yeah, they are. Read the book of Revelation. They're coming back. For I, Yahweh, am your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. We know exactly where Elim is, by the way. Let me pull it up real quick. Alim is just over here. Love how that works. This is Alim. And Alim, if you take a look at it, the oasis of Alim, it's in there in Saudi Arabia. It's been named that for like forever. And you can see this, the palm trees right here in Alim. And what's fascinating is the church fathers, they see the 12 springs of water and the 70 palm trees as kind of a little typological roadmap or sign that points to the 12 disciples who become the apostles. And remember when Jesus sent out the 70 two by two to go and proclaim the kingdom of God? They just see the spring of Elim as some kind of like a, just a little icon pointing to those guys. I think that's a good reading. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, the balance of today's Roseboro's ramblings on the book of Exodus. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. New from Los Lobos Ministry Records. An album that's just oozing with the love of Christ. It's Pastor Perry Noble's new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus. The songs on this album will melt your face off in a sanctified way. This album includes the number one purpose-driven praise techno dance song of all time entitled, well, you might just want to hear it for yourself. What about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. What about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. Don't you feel closer to Jesus after hearing that sample? Well, we've got another one for you, too. This one's entitled, You Officially Suck. I think that you officially suck as a human being. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Listen, I ain't playing games, we all I think that you officially suck as a human being. I'm not playing games. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Other tracks include Your Grandma Smokes Weed and I Don't Like Hanging Out with People That Make Me Uncomfortable. Act Now and Los Lobos Ministry will even throw in a free bonus track by Stephen Furtick entitled Cause They're Stupid. Here's a sample. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. So act now and get Pastor Perry Noble's brand new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus. We here at Pyro Christian Radio understand the importance of outreach ministries and what they can provide for the people they serve. We've recently discovered a small charity organization called Kenyan Christian Arts. This group has come together to craft and sell unique handmade Christian art locally and around the world to provide the funds necessary to feed, medicate, and educate orphan children in Kenya. Additionally, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase is donated to the FredEx International Foundation to help the poor and orphan children all over western Kenya. Please visit KenyanChristianArts.com and take a look at their selection of hand-carved soapstone goods. Their selection includes a variety of pieces such as crosses, vases, nativity sets, and even mugs. Remember, that's KenyanChristianArts.com. Thank you. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. 
Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor never does in-depth biblical teaching and exegesis. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Uh, Yeah, that's right. There's four ranks to choose from. You get to pick one. Uh, Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then after that, Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot be doing what we're doing here without it. All right, here's the balance of today's Roseboro's ramblings through Exodus. Here we go. Chapter 16. I hope you're sitting down. Because here comes the please stop touching me moment. So they set out from Elim. All the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now, Sin here does not mean sin as we understand it. That's just the name of it in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for sin is actually something different. But this is just phonetically spelled out, Sin. Uh, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Oh, would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) (laughs) When they escaped from Egypt, didn't they take Oh, yeah, they did. Okay, and I don't seem to recall them lounging around by pots of meat. I think I'm going to eat today. Here. Oh, meat pot. I mean, this is just nonsense, okay? It's like, like all of a sudden, we've, it's like, were you in the same slavery situation I was in? Because I didn't get no meat pots, you know? <laughs> Where were you serving? You know, because I was making bricks. You know, if, if if we stopped for a potty break, we'd get lashes on our back. You you had meat pots? I mean, what is this talk going on right here? So they're totally grumbling against God, and you're going to notice what this presupposes. This presupposes that God doesn't mean them good, but God means them harm. That God is really that somehow He's this sick and sadistic God, and his goal, he wanted to get them out of Egypt so that he can, well, inflict these exquisite tortures upon them, and they would die a slow, miserable, horrific death out in the middle of the wilderness, because (laughs) God really likes that. And it's like, this is just nonsense. So notice, no faith, total grumbling, they think God has it out for them, and they don't know anything about God. Is God that way? No, not at all. So then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as the daily as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, 
at evening you shall know it was Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of Yahweh because he has heard your grumbling against Yahweh. For what we are, what are we that you grumble against us? So Moses said, when the Lord Yahweh gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because Yahweh has heard your grumbling and that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against Yahweh. So then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before me, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay all around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost, on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, and let me give you what the Hebrew is literally, manna, manna, what is it? That's what it means. Manna means, what is it? So they, they literally named it, they named it, what is it? Okay, they ate, what is it in the wilderness? I mean, <laughs> if you really want to do that, right? Okay, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could, as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Old Testament, type, shadow. New Testament gives us the reality. So here we are. We have been set free from the dominion of darkness by the death of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. We have been baptized in the Red Sea. We are now in the wilderness eating miraculous bread from heaven as we journey to the promised land. Do we not? Are you saying, oh yeah, I am. I am. But let's let Jesus do the thing. Let's find where the resolution of this typology is. What does the manna point to? Communion. The answer is yes. A little bit more than that, though. It, it points to Jesus, and then Jesus explains how he feeds us himself. Let me give you the text. Before I do that, let me ask another question. Which of the miracles that Jesus performed, out of all of them, is the only one that appears, aside from the resurrection, in all four Gospels? Nope, not water to wine. That's only in John 2. Say it, say it, say it. Feeding of the 5,000, that's right. Why is that so important? Right. Okay, now, let's go to John chapter 6. We're going to look at John's account of it because Jesus gives us the theology behind it and gives us the resolution of the typology. And in John chapter 6, you kind of have to get this, is that people by this time are kind of sitting there going, is Jesus the Messiah or not? They're not sure. They're kind of going one way or another. You may have heard really bad sermons on this text, and let me explain how those kinds of sermons go and why they totally miss the point. So a bad sermon on this text would go something like this. There were all of these hungry people out in the wilderness, and Jesus said to his disciples, who's going to feed them? And the disciples totally freaked out. 
showed they didn't have any faith and said, oh, it would take 200 denarii. Even if we had that, we couldn't feed all of these people. What are you talking about, Jesus? And there was this little boy with his sack lunch. And the little boy came up and said, Mr. Jesus, I have a sack lunch. Maybe you can share it with everybody. And what ended up happening is that everybody who had actually hidden their coolers so that nobody else could have their food, they were shamed by this kid who so selflessly gave up his sack lunch. And so everybody pulled out their coolers and then everybody had a feast and then nobody was hungry anymore. (laughs) It's like, wah, wah, wah. No, this is like not what's going on at all. The reason why this miracle shows up in all four Gospels is because This is like the one. If you are a Jew, you look at this miracle and you go, oh man, Jesus is the Messiah. Because where Jesus is at, we learn from this other accounts in the other Gospels, they're out in the middle of nowhere. In other words, they're in the wilderness. This This takes place in Nowheresville, out in the wilderness. And there's all these Jews who are somehow miraculously fed Bread and meat. And immediately the light bulb will go on. So let's watch what happens. John 6, 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A little bit of a note here. You'll note that John's Gospel is clearly written to people who have never been to the Holy Land. They wouldn't know where the Sea of Galilee is, so he has to call it by the name they'd know it by, the Sea of Tiberias. So these are Gentile readers. A large crowd was following Jesus. They saw the signs that he was doing. Let me pull this over into so I have my Greek text next to it because I need my Greek text on this one. The large crowd following him because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Notice Jesus goes up on a mountain. Hmm. Big important things happen on mountaintops. Think Mount Sinai, Mount Calvary, the showdown between Elijah and Baal and Mount Carmel. Big things happen on mountains. Jesus went up on the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people might eat? Poor Philip. Now he said this to test him for Jesus knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples... Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. They gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. They know exactly who Jesus is. Now, let me give you the cross reference on this so you know why they're calling him the prophet. The cross reference is in Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, and here's what it says, starting at verse 15. Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you, this is Moses speaking, a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God, or see the great fire any more lest I die. The Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now that's the reason why here in John six fourteen. This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And they also know their Old Testament. That guy is also the son of David, which means he's the Messiah, which means he's the rightful king. So here we got a bunch of Israelites 
huge multitude out in the middle of nowhere and they're miraculously fed. And they go, that's what happened to our ancestors in the wilderness. That guy's the Messiah. So perceiving that they were about to come and take Jesus by force to make him king, because he is the king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, so here's the interesting thing, Jesus has an idea. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, and this is where the English translation is just woefully bad. He said to them, Ego e me, me phobeste. Ego e me. <laughs> Ego e me means I am. Jesus is invoking the divine name from Exodus 3. Who shall I say sent me? Moses said, I am has sent you. So Jesus says, I am. Do not be afraid. So they were glad to take him into the boat. Immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, they're wondering, where's Jesus? We've got to make him king. He's the prophet. We know this because of this miracle. When they saw he was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Kind of a impromptu armada, if you would. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, watch the theology on this. It's amazing because Jesus is going to tell us that the bread in the wilderness in the book of Exodus was always pointing to him. And then he's going to give us theology pertaining to himself and his own flesh and blood that then informs our understanding of the Lord's Supper. Does that make sense? So here's what he said. Amen, amen. Now I know it says truly, truly, but the Greek here is amen, amen. Amen, amen. I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, one of the most important questions of all of Scripture, what must we be doing to do the works of God? Notice it's plural. What must we do to be doing the works, plural, of God? Jesus said seven Hail Marys, make a pilgrimage to Rome, light candles, pray to the saints, tithe to Pastor Roseboro, off the gross, not the net. <laughs> no, here's what he says. This is the work, tan ergon, singular, the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Believe. That's the work of God, to believe. Everything else flows from that. So then they said to Him, all right, then what sign do you do so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Amen, Amen. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Hmm. So the bread in the wilderness was the type and shadow. Where did it come from? Heaven. It points to the reality. The reality is who? Jesus. 
He's the true bread that comes down from heaven. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now remember when he was crossing that sea, when he was walking across the Sea of Galilee, he said, Ego eimi, me phobiste, do not fear. Here he says, Ego eimi, haartas tes zoes, I am the bread of life. Again, invoking the divine name. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Do you believe? Yeah. This is the work of God, to believe in the One whom the Father has sent. Then you already currently possess, you have it in the bag already, eternal life. Christ will raise you up on the last day. Now, watch what happens. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. Now remember, we just read in Exodus 16. What were the children of Israel doing in the wilderness? Grumbling. Huh. This group of Jews in the wilderness is doing what? Grumbling. In Exodus, we have the miraculous bread come down from heaven. Over here in the New Testament, we have the miraculous bread come down from heaven. Hmm. The Jews grumbled. Because he's not the bread and came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered, Do not grumble among yourselves. Because who are they grumbling against? Remember, Exodus told us. They're grumbling against God. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Wow, is that an important verse. Have any of you ever heard a preacher say, God is a gentleman, and God being a gentleman would never ask you to do anything against your will? Have you ever heard a preacher preach like that? If you haven't, you're lucky. There's a lot of people out there who talk in this way. Now, I'm going to show you something from the Greek. There's the Greek word, draws. Here it is. It's appearing in an uh, aorist singular subjunctive. That makes sense. Just hold on. Just hold on. Let me finish my lesson, woman. Okay. <laughs> See, they're grumbling here, too. All right. <laughs> The Greek word itself, and let me show you it in the lexicon, and I'll have to make it bigger because I can't even read that. The Greek word is helko, helko. Let me read to you what it means. To move an object from one area to another in a pulling motion. To draw with the implication that the object being moved is incapable of propelling itself or, in the case of persons, is unwilling to do so voluntarily. Okay, right. Okay, you want to know how you were brought into the kingdom of God? Think of it like a rodeo. You're the cow they just let out, and that thing's going, get me out of here, get me out of here. Here comes Jesus the cowboy. Whoa, got them little like, we're going to drag you right into the kingdom here, I'm hell cooing you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. Okay. <laughs> you get the idea here? So, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me ropes out the rope and drags you on in. Okay? That's what he's saying. Okay? Yeah, so much for free will. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) 
Yep. So no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has. Present tense, you got it now, eternal life. Now watch, I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your fathers ate the manna, what is it, in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. You can see Jesus pointing to himself. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And now things really heat up. So the Jews disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Yuck! No way! So Jesus said to them, now watch what he does. He's sitting here, no, no, guys, listen, no. I, I, I didn't, wasn't talking literally. It was all simple, you know. <laughs> My bad. Watch what he does. Amen, amen. I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Jesus doubles down. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Do we have any communion bread in the freezer? On the night that our Lord was betrayed... He was given bread and he gave thanks and he broke it saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Manna. What is it? Right. Right. (laughs) You could say, manna Yeshua. Jesus. You see the little play on words now? And is this not the very thing that we all bicker about in Christ, in Christianity? Manna. Oh, it symbolizes. No, 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 no. Jesus said it is. Manna. What did Jesus just tell us this is? Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and died. Whoever eats This bread lives forever. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Manna. What is it? Jesus. Bingo. How is that possible? Stop grumbling. (laughs) Believe. Trust. Would Jesus give you anything to harm you? Has he ever said something and not have it come to pass? If he tells you this is his body, you say, amen. Right on. And not only that, here's the thing. We bicker and bicker and bicker and bicker and bicker and bicker over a little cracker. (laughs) And if you've ever been to some of those churches where like they put that thing in your mouth and it melts immediately, it's easier to actually believe that that thing is the body of Christ than it is to believe it's actually bread. That's the bigger miracle. Okay, (laughs) But Jesus tells us what this is. And when you grumble like the children of Israel in the wilderness or the Israelites in John 6, what do you miss? All of the promises. So when you come to the Lord's table, what do I say to you? Take, eat. 
This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given into death for your sins. Jesus just said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life and you abide in me. So every time we come to the Lord's table, and man, I wish we were doing it more often because I'm hungry. But every time we do this, we leave with these promises. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So when the devil comes knocking on your door after church going, you know, I saw what you did. You call yourself a Christian. There's no way you're going to heaven. You can sit there and go, manna. (laughs) Manna. Come on, devil. Manna, dude. What is this? Did you not hear what Jesus said? You see, when you believe Jesus and take him at his words and don't overcook it with your brain. I don't know how it works. And so the Lutherans, we have this funny way of kind of coming up with a solution to this. How is it possible that we receive in our mouth Christ's body and blood? I don't know. And so where is it? Well, if I pull out the microscope, I'm not going to see like carpuscles and you know stuff like that. No, it's not like that at all. So what do we do? We just pour on a whole bunch of prepositions. Jesus' body is in, with, under, next to, besides, you know, through. Just throw on any preposition you want because the idea here is, is that in some very real way, which is apprehended by faith and believing Jesus' words, we receive Christ's body and blood. And now I've got these promises. I have eternal life. I have the forgiveness of my sins. And it can't be taken from me because when you hear the absolution, the general absolution, I as a called and ordained servant of the word forgive you all of your sins. You may be tempted in a very dark season to go, yeah, but that probably doesn't apply to me. You come to the rail. You come to the rail. And now this is put in your mouth. There's no way of denying it. You don't get to be excluded You just have Christ and you have eternal life. You have the forgiveness of sins. You quit your grumbling and you start your trusting. You start having assurance and confidence in Christ and his mercy and his love towards you. So, manna. Answer? Jesus. Jesus. This is consecrated, by the way, so. All right, we will leave it off there. We'll see you next week. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carry his death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>